0: That was pretty good.
1: I like it. And I still like every single painting that Mozart <laughs> did.
0: Yeah, we're still recording. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Bud Zone Podcast. I'm Bud, your host. The Bud Zone podcast is for, from, and by saints, our buds in the faith, to edify one another in the faith and to encourage one another to love and good works. We discuss the world. We discuss the church. We discuss the faith. We discuss truth. And we do it with the mind of Christ. Thank you for joining us.
1: Welcome to the Bud Zone podcast. I'm Rob, your host for this episode. Now, I know all of you that follow the Bud Zone are used to hearing an entirely different voice opening the podcast. But today, on the Bud Zone, I have something just a little bit different. Usually, Bud opens a podcast and introduces his guest. And he has had some very interesting guests over the past several months. But today, Bud has granted me the privilege to serve as host for this episode of The Bud Zone and to introduce my own very special guest, whom I am sure you will enjoy hearing from. So without any further delay, let me introduce my guest for today. Bud Allheim, how are you?
0: Well, I am well albeit reluctantly, <laughs> on the wrong side of the question and answer.
1: Okay, well, you know, let, let's put some folks' minds at ease before we go any further.
0: Please. Right?
1: The Bud Zone. You're, you're not going anywhere. Still the host. This is just, as we say, putting the shoe on the other foot. Mm-hmm. Instead of you facilitating the discussion, I'm going to do that because I thought it might be an interesting thing for your listeners to hear a bit more about and from you than they do when you have a guest on your podcast.
0: Well, I'm not necessarily doing this in protest or in malice, (laughs) but reluctantly, because you know, Rob, that the focus of what I try to do is on others. I'm not... Feigning some I, false I, humility here. I,
1: and I understand that. And, and that's why in my show notes here that, that are sitting right in front of me right now, it says, insert disclaimer here. And so, folks, let, let me just tell you, this, this is not Bud's idea. This is something that I came up with after listening to all the shows and hearing him interview and talk with all of the folks that he's had on the show I thought it'd be nice to kind of turn the tables just a little bit. So this is not Bud's idea because Bud does not like the limelight. He likes to talk with other people and hear their stories. So I'm not accepting the blame. I'm just taking responsibility.
0: (laughs) Oh, there may be blame. (laughs) (laughs) There definitely could be blame, but there's forgiveness. Uh, So, yeah, you kind of twisted my arm into this and... uh, I don't mind. I think it'll be fun. What's surprising is that you know me so well, you'd still want to do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and and that's just the point, you know, I know you, uh, you know, a couple of the guests that you've had on know you pretty well, Uh, but a lot of your listeners, they may not necessarily know who Bud Alheim is. So I thought we would do this and and, uh, you were agreeable and I caught you in a weak moment. So here we are.
0: That you did. And plus, I always have the fallback that I'm the guy that edits all this stuff anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Y- you've, you've mentioned that several times. So, but, uh, you yeah, know, we, we, we're we going to have a good time with this, and, and I hope it will be informative and edifying for, for your listeners. So, uh, before we go in too much further, I'd, I'd just like to kind of recap some of the guests that you've had on the Bud Zone over the last several months. Uh, okay. You had uh, Rashad Hendricks. Uh, he came on, and the two of you talked about government and God. Yeah. Elizabeth Prada. Yeah. Uh, she shared her, uh, you know, how she came to Christ, uh, her salvation, uh, her writing ministry, and the ministry that she has to women. And and that was, I tell you, I, I really enjoyed hearing her her story. Uh, then uh, Pastor Ted Mathis of Pueblo West Baptist Church in Pueblo, West, Colorado, discussing faith and faithfulness in these chaotic times. That was followed by Dr. Andrew Smith and Rashad Hendricks talking about faith and faithfulness during an age of increasing tyranny. Tony Hicks came on, uh, pastor at Clifton Baptist Church, uh, discussing a variety of topics, including his participation in the most recent Southern Baptist Convention in right. Nashville, Tennessee. Yep. And then Chris LeDuc, he's a pastor at uh, Cannon Beach Bible Church in Cannon Beach, Oregon, discussing an array of issues faced by the contemporary church. I thought that one was really interesting when Chris was on because not it wasn't that long ago that my wife and I traveled cross-country, taking my oldest daughter and, and our grandchild Back over to Washington State, and we stopped in Astoria, Oregon. Spent the night there, and we cruised down the beach there in Oregon. So we were right there in the vicinity of where his church is located. At I had oh, no, really I had no idea he was there. Yeah, we we hit Cannon Beach. We hit uh, uh, went to the Tillamook. Creamery. Oh, cool. Toward that. Uh, and I'm a big fan of Tillamook Ice Cream. I'll
0: pack. have to ask him about that. I'm going to have him back on at some point. Or...
1: But, I, but I I enjoyed that. And then you had Vadim Stamey on, and, and he was a really, you know, a, a great, great podcast you had with him, a conversation about the Lord's providence and his life and the importance of scripture, discipleship, and the church in the life of a believer. Great, great podcast he did. Dale Corbett. Uh, You and I know Dale very well. Uh, He attends, uh, worships with us at Christ Reform Community Church. He shared with us his experience and exit from the Pentecostal movement, his move through an SBC church infected with emergent church theology, as well as how he came to understand the doctrines of grace. Uh, Pastor Anthony Forsyth, Calvary Baptist Church in Burbank, California talked about his recent sermon series entitled Caesar and the Church. Yes. Then you had uh, pastor and author Matt Trujella uh, discussing his book, The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates.
0: Right, yep.
1: Antonio Giuliano.
0: Giuliano, yeah. Giuliano? Yeah.
1: Giuliano? I, yeah. I want to make sure I get it's that It's Chinese
0: right. is what he told me. I think it's actually Italian, but
1: I, That's who what knows? you know. <laughs> as I listened to him, I thought about spaghetti. So... <laughs> So, I mean, but, but his, that was another great podcast that you had with uh, Antonio uh, talking about the Lord's sovereign grace and his salvation, his amazing providence and leading him to become the lead tenor soloist in the United States Army Band Chorus and the Lord's faithfulness during the career-threatening threaten- but faith-building trial that yeah, he went through. So really? Good stuff. Then... Let's see. You had Jared Baker, Pastor of Nelson Creek Missionary Baptist Church in Central City, Kentucky. and I think if I'm not mistaken, that was about the time all of those tornadoes had gone through that area.
0: Yeah, I think it we record because I record these things ahead of time firm, and I think but by, by the, the time, time it, it hit. dropped, yeah,
1: those tornadoes had gone right through there. and you had I you even mentioned because uh, I asked you about it, and you said that he had been out helping, uh, us helping with the town the next community. next yeah. to
0: him. It was uh, horrendous. So
1: yeah, uh, but you had a you had a good discussion with him on a wide range of topics, including his preaching ministry, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, the COVID pandemic impact on the church, and what encourages him about the times that we live in. Mm-hmm. Followed that with uh, Pastor Steve Cooley, a pastor elder at Bethlehem Bible Church in West Boylston
0: Boylston Boylston right near baston
1: see and and, and you know that, here, here's what'm I was going to mention because I listened to I listened to all the podcasts, but I listened to that one.
0: Well, you're I, one of the twelve
1: and I thought, you know what Bud's Boston accent is really, really bad. <laughs> I mean, it was really bad. But, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Steve Cooley is known for his evangelical broadcasting work alongside Pastor Mike Abendroth on No Compromise Radio, where Steve is known as the Tuesday guy, and you made him famous on Thursday. Well,
0: I I don't know about that. (laughs) Well, I did suggest it. that it could be a moniker he could pick up. You're now the <laughs> Thursday guy.
1: Yeah, okay. And then, uh, finally, uh, Dr. Andrew Smith, pastor of Christ Reformed Community Church, introducing and discussing the upcoming new podcast, Truth For You.
0: And you were on that as well. Well. Well.
1: <laughs> I, I was present. You <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and—, and You guys, you know, I really enjoyed listening to the dialogue between you and Andrew, and and uh, that the first episode of that new podcast dropped this past week. Yes, and absolutely. Let me see. Let me find a phrase. Uh, Stellar, stellar.
0: Mm -hmm. See, it's just people that are listening. You don't. He's mocking me, and that's okay. Carry on.
1: Okay, okay. What's that? What's that verse in Job that that talks about? uh, You know, give me a chance to say what I need to say, and then once I'm done, you can go on mocking me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. Eventually, the Lord shut that down. I'm not sure that'll happen today, but.
1: (laughs) So, that's just kind of a wrap up of of the podcast. That's pretty good. Thank you. In the last few months.
0: And, and I love and those guys. They, uh, and Elizabeth, who's not a guy, but just in a generic sense. Yeah. You know, just such faithful faithful folks uh, that the Lord's using. And uh, it, it's encouraging to me. I don't know how many other people listening might have been encouraged, but I know these folks and love these folks, and it's encouraging.
1: And you know what? Sitting on this side, listening to those podcasts, hearing those folks and their stories and and their ministries from the standpoint of a follower of the bud zone i'm grateful to you for doing that because otherwise i might know not might not know any of these folks and and uh be aware of what they're out there doing. Uh, so I appreciate that. And I'm sure some of your other followers appreciate that as well, you know. you know, And each, each one of the, the episodes that you do, you include links to uh, them on the show notes. Yeah. So people want to know more, they can go and they can click on those links and they can find out. Right. You know, what's going on. And uh, so I appreciate that. But you know what? In each of these podcasts, we learn something of each of your guests.
0: Which is the point.
1: <laughs> but my point is, what about the host? So, that said, introduce yourself. Give us a bit of an autobiography of Bud Alheim.
0: So, we've got like 15 seconds. I can probably fill that up. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I am about lord willing to celebrate my 58th birthday so i still have to say sir to you it just keeps working that way i was born in macon georgia lived in georgia for a long time and uh went to school in georgia went to college uh in macon so i'm a southern boy uh, I'm a husband and a father, and I sit on the back row at my church.
1: <laughs> I can verify that.
0: <laughs> that's a yeah. It's kind of a carryover from my Baptist days, I guess. And that's it. I, I not a whole lot. I I, I work. I, I was going to say a, a eight to five job, but it's kind of a eight to whenever I get ready to leave kind of job. So Monday through Friday, that's what I do. Small business that uh, sells construction products to contractors uh, here in the Jacksonville area. I try and be faithful in ministry. The podcast is certainly one of the things that I was encouraged to do by Andrew Rappaport, who kept pestering me to, you need to do a podcast, you need to do a podcast. So I got into it, and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I don't have enough knowledge really to go online and start teaching but i I know all these people that the Lord's brought across my path, and I'd like to hear from them mm-hmm. and so that's kind of how that idea came around um, so I do that spend a lot of time doing that uh you've been instrumental in helping uh put together truth for you, the podcast with Andrew, which I'm really excited about that preaching needs to get out there so that's kind of where I'm at now. I spend a lot of time in repentance i uh <laughs> <laughs> the more I'm mature, the worse it seems to get in the right kind of way. So All right. what else? Do you have anything else? Is well, that sufficient? Or
1: Yeah, I, I do have something else here. And, and uh, uh, this is something that you don't do with every guest, but you have done with a few. I know that uh, I think the the first time I was on the podcast uh, you asked me to come on and and we talked about Bible reading plans and oh yes and, uh, I, if I remember correctly and I'm not sure how much of it may have gotten edited out but you asked me some questions so I have 10 questions here that we're gonna go through and, and just you know just give me your response and for, the folks out there in the listening audience (laughs) 10 questions number one night owl or early riser
0: oh early riser that's biblical by the way early riser yeah
1: okay yeah i don't call you after like eight o'clock
0: no 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 sleep will have oozed across my weary lids by that point and i'm yeah i'm out okay
1: Uh, question two book
0: or movie uh book because in the beginning was the word, not the video. Man. That's, that's pretty that's, sharp, that's, wasn't it? That's
1: good. That's good. Hang on.
0: Every now and then.
1: Let me, let me write that down. Uh, number three. Since I knew the answer to question number two, approximately how many books do you have in your library at
0: home? Um, You know... There was a similar question asked of John Rockefeller. You know, how much money is enough? And I think he said something like, "You know, $1. just one dollar more." Well, I'm probably that way with my library. I, I'm one book too few. I, I just always need another one. Um, but I, you know, to be able to guess a number, I don't. I don't really know. I love books, but I. What I admire about folks that that maintain their libraries and they have a database. I just don't do that. I don't have enough time to do that. You've you've been upstairs where most of them are, well, that aren't boxed up, but that are on the shelves. They're not in any order. I just kind of know where they are when I want to find one of them. I've got some collectible books and some autograph books and some first editions, but other than those, I mean, books are tools to me. Um, I'm, I'm not as much concerned about having them than having consumed them. And I'll tell you this too. I don't know if you're aware of this. There is this um, virulent debate going on, especially in the reform community, because I've seen some guys that have, have commented about this on the matter of dust jackets. Have you seen anything about this? No, I haven't. Yeah. So there are some really godly men out there that, that I love and respect, but they have no problem maliciously with ill intent defiling the noble integrity of a book by disposing of the dust jacket.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: That's borderline heresy. You can't be doing that kind of stuff. So I'm a dust jacket proponent. So when I get a book, I put, I uh, tape the dust jacket down. I put my little, library and dish a seal on the front page and the books that aren't any good i usually put a heresy sticker on it so when i die my wife sandy will know
1: which, one which ones which ones to college? avoid
0: <laughs> but as far as the number i don't know
1: so if we went up there right now and we found your best life now it would have a sticker on
0: it yeah yeah okay. warning this is heresy yeah okay kind of thing so <laughs> Because she needs to know. I mean, she knows that, but, you know, some of them I read are kind of out there. And so she asked me to do that, too, by the way. It was not something I came up with. Oh, okay. She's like, when you die, how am I going to know what's good and what's not good? I'm like, okay, well, I can kind of fix that. So that's what I did. But as far as number, I don't don't know.
1: Um, You know, I've I've been upstairs. I've seen your your library. If I had to... Yes, I would say, on the shelves right now, probably somewhere between 500 and a thousand. Well, yeah, easy. on
0: the on the shelves, because yeah. you've seen like in the den in there, I've got them yeah. stacked up by the, because I'm usually sitting there reading, and on my bedside table, I've got there's probably 15 stacked up there. So yeah, probably hardback or printed. Volumes well over a thousand and on and on my iPad,
1: yeah, that's not including what you have on your iPad. Yeah, on my I mean, iPad,
0: e-books. there's probably 2,000 on there. Wow. Um, now some of these are referenced books, mm-hmm. so you're not like going from you know front cover to back cover reading all of them, some of them were referenced, right? But uh, yeah, so probably a few thousand, okay. um, all together,
1: okay? So so you recently posted on Facebook, you posted, uh, I forget which library it was from. Somebody guessed it right off the bat.
0: Oh, um, from, uh, what was that? Yeah, Abert was it Aberdeen? Um,
1: I'm not really certain. I don't recall, but, but we're not far from that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wish we weren't far from that.
1: <laughs> okay, let's, let's move on to question four. Aside From the Holy Scriptures, favorite author and favorite book of all time.
0: That's not a fair question.
1: Well, that's the first unfair question I'm going to ask.
0: I can tell you this. There was this famous quip that I heard, you've probably heard it from R.C. Sproul, when somebody asked him what his eschatology was. And his answer was, well, it depends on who I read last. So my favorite author, my favorite book would probably have to come from a very recent read uh, because I'm always so impressed and it's fresh and, and I'm thinking through it. So um, I, I, read, I read a lot last year, um, and there would be a few books that I would, I would recommend as being on my, my list right now. Joe Boot uh, wrote a book called The Mission of God, incredible work. Uh, I love that. I'm, I'm rereading it now. Uh, there's a book by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Very uh, endorsable, excellent work. The guy's just, you know, these smart guys. Uh, based on the recommendation by Andrew, our pastor, I got uh, last year the collected works of John Murray, and I read all of those. And another book by John Murray called Principles of Conduct. Uh, Jay Gresham Machen, always a favorite. Didn't have as many books out there just because he died young. But he had a book that was released last year called Things Unseen. Great, great book. And then uh, what I am still working through right now um, that would have to be high on the list would be the works of Abraham Kuyper. Just fascinating uh, the way the guy thinks, and he's— Very accessible. I I had a brother ask me uh, this morning, actually, on a Facebook post because I post quotes, you know, and I had quoted uh, Kuiper, and he asked me, how did I, was it accessible? How hard was he to read? I was really surprised. I I thought that in trying to read Kuiper, I'd run into some stumbling blocks because he's such a brilliant guy. But it's very accessible. Uh, Folks need to read that, especially in the times we live with regards to some of the sphere sovereignty issues that he really developed Mm -hmm. from Scripture uh, and from a Reformed theological perspective. Just a great guy uh, to be reading. And then I want to plug one other book, and that's a book by a guy, or two guys, uh, Non-Tenant and Michael Foster. And guys, if you're listening, thanks for following me recently on Facebook. (laughs) I appreciate that. But they um, wrote a book called It's Good to Be a Man. Oh, wow. Excellent. I'm going to be buying copies of this and distributing it. Folks, you you need to read this. You need to read this if you're a man, if you're a husband, if you're a single man, if you're a woman, if you're looking for a husband, if you're a wife, you need to read it. You need to give it to your children. Your sons need to read it. Your daughters need to read it. This is an exceptional book that deals with one of the most fundamental issues going on in the in the evangelical church and the world at large right now. We've lost manhood. Somebody said a few years ago that, you know, America needs a daddy. Yeah, we do, because the church has become largely feminized. Uh, the culture certainly is effeminate. Uh, and we've lost the ideal of what it means to be a godly man. So anyway, uh, it's good to be a man. Y'all go get that book.
1: All right. Question number five. Now, when you gave us a little bit of your autobiography, born in Macon, Georgia. Yes, right. Now, see, you and I have some of this in common because I was born in Savannah, Georgia, Mm. raised in Macon, Georgia. So this next question—question question cool. number
0: five—some of the best people were raised there.
1: That's right. Uh, and
0: I'm just, not talking about me, but in your case, yeah.
1: Well, my my dad was born, raised in Macon, and my mother Augusta, and then Macon.
0: So, oh, and they're they're, they're <clears throat> were great people. I didn't know your mom, but I know your dad. So, of course, give him my condolences, by the way, for obvious yeah, reasons.
1: Yeah, he's he, uh, he had to raise me; he still has to put up with me. <laughs> <clears throat> um, question five, new way or varsity? It's an obvious answer. It's new right. way. Of course. Of course. And, and see folks sitting out there listening to this have no idea what that question is about.
0: No, they don't. So
1: for them, if you go to whatever TV cable channel or or system you subscribe to look up the hot dog show you will find new way wieners and varsity as two of the hot dog places that are featured on that pbs really oh yeah oh yeah
0: you watch tv i mean really
1: well every once (laughs) in a while see see
0: (laughs) i I do i I don't know about that though
1: but yeah, it was on there years ago I saw it. And and uh, you know, growing up in Middle Georgia, Macon area, which is the only place you can get a New Way hot
0: dog. A New Way wiener, yeah.
1: And uh so yeah, that's me too. New way over varsity yeah. every single
0: time. Although what was funny is when I was in college <clears throat> I was in, in college in Macon and uh it was and we kinda did it because it was like a road trip thing. We would you know a few of us would get together and sometimes i would drive my navajo orange hatchback pinto from macon georgia to atlanta to go hang out at the varsity and get v dogs you know so but familiarity breeds contempt so we were in macon you can get a new way anytime but going to going to atlanta was an expedition yeah and I mean, girls might show up so well
1: there you go <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it's living here in the, you know, Jacksonville, Florida area. It's, you know, you can't get new ways. So it's a five-hour drive if you want to go up to Macon and get a new way. So,
0: And you're close to a copyright infringement because you make well, I've, Robway wieners, which are incredibly close.
1: And, and that has been a, a lot of years trying to tweak that Greek chili Hot dog, chili sauce. Yeah, and uh, I've got it close, but it's not the same. But anyway, number six, favorite music genre.
0: Well, to quote, you know, a dear brother, R. E. Miller.
1: <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no!
0: If it's not classical, like I, what is that you said? I love everything Mozart ever painted. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. You get the only one listener, or only one person who might listen to this is going to know what you're talking about, (laughs) and that's our pastor Andrew Smith because he was there when you asked me that question when we were recording. We
0: were, yeah, we were, we were uh, getting ready to record for the promotion I was doing for his his podcast, and we were just sitting there talking and. And I don't know, music came up, and, and uh, my favorite is classical. And he looked at you or something, I, I we, think. We were
1: talking. We were talking about uh, something he had been watching, and about music. And you're just sitting over there playing with, you know, the uh, the electronics and everything. And you looked up and you said, how do you feel about something like, how do you feel about Brahms versus Mozart? Uh, Bach. Yeah, Bach. Was it Bach? Or Bach. It? Yeah. How do you feel about Bach versus Mozart? Now I said, "Well, Mozart." And you said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, I love everything you ever painted." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you and Andrew started laughing.
0: Oh, that and, was hilarious.
1: But, you know, I really enjoyed that. I said earlier, yeah, you know, I really enjoyed that recording with you two guys just sitting there fellowshipping and having a good time and then oh
0: that was great and
1: then talking theology so all right let's move on because there's a lot of other things i need to get to
0: i'm so excited
1: question seven and this is another one of those unfair questions okay i'm just going to warn you right up front favorite book in the bible
0: oh wow that's really tough cuz you feel like you're sliding somebody somewhere if
1: <laughs> yeah and, and, and there's no unimportant books or you yeah know, they're all necessary they're all the canon of scripture they're all they're all know. the inspired word of god how do you uh,
0: you know i told I, you
1: it was an unfair question it is
0: it's not you know but this is
1: but is there one that sticks out as you as you read through it
0: i'm going to either have to say um, Proverbs or Romans?
1: Now, see, I was anticipating Romans.
0: The, uh, just the, uh, it, it's such rich theology—you're never going to get to the bottom of. Yeah. Uh, so.
1: Yeah, I I I like Job, and I like the Book of Ephesians a lot. Right. So.
0: So see, you're just pointing out that I've slighted Paul in his no. other letter and. <laughs>
1: No, no, you're not. not.
0: Okay. Number eight,
1: apart from the Godhead, most admired Bible character.
0: Oh, well, that would have to be Paul. Okay. And that's kind of like a natural answer I think most folks would likely give. But yeah, Paul.
1: Number nine, most admired theologian from throughout church history.
0: Not counting Paul.
1: Not counting Paul.
0: You know I'm I'm going to run into these guys at some point in the future.
1: <laughs> you are.
0: You and are. I don't know if they're going to be able to know that I've dissed them by not including them in an answer. Uh
1: you will I, know as you have been known. They're going to know it and you're going to know they know it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> you know, I, would, I probably John Calvin. Okay. That's probably who I'd answer. See,
1: I figured you were either going to say Calvin or Spurgeon.
0: Well, I'd for, so. for for pastor, I'd, I'd probably pick Spurgeon for sure. The Prince of Pe- yeah. Preachers, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, okay. Number 10. Last question. Uh-oh. From recent history, let's say in your lifetime, most admired theologian and or preacher?
0: Well, that's pretty easy. But actually, it's it's two answers because the theologian would be R.C. Sproul, okay. and and the preacher would be John MacArthur. Okay. Those two guys really were instrumental right. to where I'm at now. Okay. All right.
1: Well, I'm going to let you explain that to Dr. Andrew M. Smith, but
0: <laughs> I'm sure
1: he'll understand. <laughs> Okay, that's the ten questions so uh how
0: did i do do I get a grade
1: yeah you passed I mean you know maybe maybe question ten you might have to you know be marked down a little bit depending on who's grading the paper so <laughs> <laughs> but uh uh but there is one more question I've got for you here. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ?
0: Well, the simple answer is sovereign grace um there is a little quip, which I think I actually stole from you years ago, um, along the lines of, you know, when, when it comes to Judgment Day. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. I've I've stolen it. I've used it. I've made it my own. Okay, sue me. <laughs> but when it comes to Judgment Day and you're standing before the Lord, I tell people, look for me and get in line right behind me. You told me that years ago, because once the Lord gets done with me, it's going to go a whole lot easier
1: on the guy f- for you.
0: <laughs> so it truly is grace. Um, I mean, Paul says that he was an apostle, untimely born, mm-hmm. and I kind of think, well, he claims to be the chief of sinners. I actually think I'm the chief of sinners, untimely born. He got the title because. You know, Providence so orchestrated it, but it was uh, it was all grace. And you know, the uh, in 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 talking with folks and and sharing a little bit about my testimony, I have no idea when I was saved. What I would say is that I was uh, saved when I was thirteen in a little Southern Baptist church outside of Atlanta, and uh, I was baptized there. I was taken under the wing of the pastor. I had a real interest in in reading and studying. Um, I mean, thanks to my mother, actually, she's the one that, that instilled the desire to read uh, in me. So I've always been a heavy reader. This pastor that baptized me um, kind of took me under his wing, and he started giving me all kinds of books. I mean, I still have some upstairs, may have some in my collectibles he really kind of shepherded me Mm -hmm. within a few years i was probably 16 i think uh, i started preaching i mean i was preaching for him on like training it was a southern baptist church we had wednesday night training union you know yeah and sunday nights i would i would uh, fill in for him and sometimes on sunday mornings i started getting invited to go speak at other churches so i was very active in the in the ministry um, then I went to college and I, and my intent in college was to, to study for the ministry. So I was in religion. I was in religion and philosophy. I didn't really think I was called. I don't remember thinking that at the time, but everybody around me seemed to think, Oh, well, you're, you're called. You, you need to be, I remember one little old lady in our church, you'll be the next Billy Graham. Well, you know, Every 16-year-old that probably came through their preaching, which I don't guess there were that many. They probably heard the same thing from her. But So I had that sort of encouragement, I guess. So anyway, I went to college and started studying religion, philosophy, intended to go, had already been accepted at Southern Seminary um, in Louisville. Well, at college I started encountering very liberal theology, And I started running into questions I didn't have answers for, and I'd go back home on the weekends to my local church that I had been in forever, and uh, I'd ask my pastor these questions. And uh, most of the time he'd give me reasonable answers, but I finally started getting into things, I guess, that I was learning in college or being exposed to from professors that he couldn't answer. Mm Mm-hmm. And and finally, it was kind of a point blank conversation I remember having in his office in his study, and it was like you need to stop asking questions. And I was sinful enough and arrogant enough and prideful enough not to like that answer. Mm-hmm. He, um, you know, he just told me there are questions you're not allowed to ask. And I and in my arrogance, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not that bright, and if I can think of questions, how come God doesn't give an answer to it? So I rebelled. I walked away from the church, and this is not like overnight. This this took a little bit of time. I was, yeah. you know, I was arrogant and, and sinful, so I, I rebelled. I, I walked away from church. I walked away from God. I fell into all kinds of sin, which justifies my challenge to paul for chief of yes. center and uh, you know i finally got to the point where i was telling people i was an atheist i mean that was just where i was i had never gotten any satisfactory answers to all these things i ran into in college the church couldn't answer them. my own pastor who who i knew cared for me he couldn't answer them, and pretty much rebuked me for even asking at, at some point um so I, I kind of rebelled, thought, you know, well, if there are no answers for these kinds of things, then there must not be a God. It's a myth. Uh, so I, I kind of told people I was an atheist, I was a humanist, I adopted the idol of reason, human reason. Um, so that's how I lived for, my goodness, 20-something years, I guess. And Okay, so
1: now... Give me the but God.
0: Yeah, so the but God was about—and like I said, I, I don't know when I was saved. Maybe I was saved then, and the Lord perseverance of the saints turned me around, let me see some of the depravity I'm capable of.
1: Philippians 1-6? Yeah.
0: Um, so maybe 10 years ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and it's an interesting story, and I'll tell it because I can edit it out if I don't like it. But still— um, I don't know, I don't know what happened. It it truly was grace. Um, I didn't have like some Damascus Road thing. Um, I know that my wife, Sandy, who was a believer when we got married, even though I was telling her I'm an atheist, I remember when I asked her to marry me and she's like, why would you want to marry me? You know I'm a Christian. I'm like, because I like the morals. I'm a moral guy and so I respect that. You can believe in your God all you want. I'm not I'm not bothered by that. I think you're wrong, but whatever. Well, she ended up being a huge means of grace to me that the Lord used. But I'm not sure exactly when uh, I was saved. I, I, I finally arrived in a, at a point where I knew my sin. I knew the law of God. I knew Christ's um, grace, that he was the only way. And I picked up the Bible, and I think it was KJV, because that's probably all I had at the time. picked it up and I started reading, and I hadn't done that in probably two decades. Um, And this was the point I was going to make, and I know it's taken out of context. This is a verse that I I just remember. It just stuck with me as I read it, and it was um, from Revelation. And it was actually from, I'd have to look, I, I think Revelation 3, where he's writing to, Yeah, Sardis. Wake up, strengthen what remains. I haven't found your works complete.
1: Complete, yeah, okay.
0: Now, I know that's written to the church. I know the context is complete. But that's one of those, it's just stuck with me. And I'm like, I knew what I used to be uh, when I was engaged in church, when I was trying to be faithful. I don't know if I was saved back then when I was 13 or 16 or 20, or if it was 10 years ago. But nevertheless, that was one of the instrumental things that just stuck with me. And I, I, I prayed on it. I, it nagged my conscience, convicted me, and, and it really it drove me to repentance. And once the Lord granted that repentance, I, I started again on the questions that I had from years ago. And this time, I started getting the answers. Um, I, I started reading theology, especially Puritan, Reformed theology. The issue of sovereignty really was profound to me, and once I sort of, as best you can, grasp that issue of God's sovereignty, it was very easy. Calvinism was not a big deal to me. Mm. Um, I I mean, how can you not be? You know, Spurgeon always said Calvinism is just biblical Christianity. Well, that was never a real issue for me. It it made sense. So then I started seeing, you know, sovereignty everywhere. I don't know, I'm kind of rambling, but I I don't know when I was— born again. What I know now is that I am born again because I see the progress. I see the direction that I didn't choose this. The Lord did this, and I don't want it to be unchosen. I want it to continue. Um, I remember hearing MacArthur years ago say something, I think in one of his Q&As, that disturbed me because I couldn't do it. He he was answering some guy's question, and he says, "Oh, I, I see the hand of God at work every day. And I'm like, well, I don't do that. I, I can't say that I see the hand of God at work in every day. every day. Um, and so that kind of took me to the next step. Well, I understand sovereignty. I sort of have these, this theological grasp of sovereignty and Calvinism and, and all of that. But when I heard MacArthur say that, I'm like, you know what? The only way that you can arrive at that sort of understanding is really by communion with Christ. Right. Um, well, how am I going to do that? Well, I need to master Scripture, which MacArthur has certainly done that uh, as well as anybody can. I, I won't ever achieve that kind of level, but I started, you know, studying Scripture, reading theology, exegesis, um, and it all comes together. And and you and I did the podcast about the the reading system. Right. That was just instrumental. I don't know how I found that. Um, the Horner plan.
1: Providence.
0: Well, it truly was Providence, because when I, once I, after I had read through a couple of times, and, and when I started early, I was doubling and tripling up. I mean, I was reading 20, 30 chapters a day. I was blowing through Scripture, and I was able to remember it. I mean, I'm able to read fast anyway, so um, Scripture's a little bit different, but all this stuff started coming together, and sanctification started happening, and... Not that it wasn't, but I think I had always kind of viewed sanctification as um kind of a let go, let god thing. Yeah. You gotta be involved. That's right. You gotta be faithful, you gotta be pursuing, you know, you gotta hunger and thirst after righteousness. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but
1: No, no, no. That that's that's good. I, I just want to, you know, for, for the folks out there listening, uh the the verse that you were referring to in Revelation chapter 3 is verse 2.
0: Verse 2, okay. And
1: it says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God.
0: Man, I'm telling you. I, I know the context. I understand how to, <laughs> how to interpret scripture. I know you don't. Things out of, con- but but the principle behind that really stuck with me, and the, and the Lord used it. That that was because I was like, I mean, I've been suicidal through all those years being atheistic. You have no hope. You have no answers. What's the point of being here? Right. Um, so that just really worked on me, and now my theology is much more um, correct. I mean, everybody's got holes in their theology. I know, you know, mine's not perfect, but, but it's just amazing to see where I'm at now with what little I did understand, even 10 years ago, certainly when I was 16 or 20. That it, was it,
1: 10 years ago? I think it was about 10 years ago. Because I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, when you said 10 years ago, I'm, I'm thinking back to uh, when you and I actually met— and and that was uh 5 years ago? No.
0: Oh, it's longer than that.
1: Yeah. Um but I know it was it was 2016 when you introduced me to Horner's Bible reading system.
0: Okay. So
1: and I know that because I just completed in fact yesterday I completed day 2000. Oh, wow. So, I mean it's it's been a blessing to me.
0: How many books are in your library?
1: You know what? I have <laughs> You're got. Keeping up. I know. I have got far less than you do. Okay. See, I would have book or movie. I would have said movie, but I don't read as well as you do. Uh,
0: well, but, and and that's uh, not. Don't. Yeah, and I've told you this. It's not. I don't this is not a boast. This is a skill I learned. I did it in, in, in high school. I, I took a comprehension course because mm-hmm. I just love to read. My mom just instilled that in me and I, I consume books and I wanted to be able to consume them faster and not lose the comprehension. So I, I took a, you know, I, I worked and paid for a course over the course of a summer between my junior and senior year of high school, so that I could speed read. The goal is not fast. The goal is, I mean, fast is only good if you're also able to retain what you're reading. And, uh, I mean, I'm getting older. I'm not as good at it as I used to be. Um, But
1: Just wait until you catch up with me. Not that you'll ever catch me, but.
0: I'll still always say sir to you. When you get to be my age, because
1: 58, you said, you're pretty quick. Yeah. I'm 65 here pretty quickly, but it kind of dwindles. And, and mine never was that I mean, I love to read, but I just cannot read as fast as, say, you can.
0: It's not a race. I'm able to retain a lot of what I read, and I read, I read four or five books a week. Um, and I'm able to kind of retain what I – but it's waning a little bit. Some things I have to go back and do again. Well, um, well,
1: let me ask you this. You, know, you mentioned earlier that you had just read through the collective works of John Owen. John Murray. John Murray.
0: Okay. Yeah, John Murray. Last okay. year. Yeah.
1: Last year? This last year?
0: This past year, yeah. Yeah,
1: okay. Now, now let me ask you this. That's not the volumes that you bought at G3, was it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay. those are the right. ones I bought at G3.
1: And how many volumes?
0: What is it? Five? I think five? Four or five? Five volumes, four or five volumes. of
1: John Murray? Yeah. B3 was when? It was like... Uh, October October it was the last week weekend of September first weekend of October yeah and since that time you have read five volumes of the collective works of John Murray
0: yeah I uh, I
1: can't do that I'm I just can't I I can't I'm much slower if I'm well if I'm going to retain anything I have to read much slower
0: and that's okay because so, it's not a race you're not i'm not comparing yeah. myself to but I'm you just, know
1: i'm just amazed because i wouldn't oh it's I, not
0: amazing it's well, just
1: I, I well okay i'm I'm starting to covet here a little bit <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that would be a sin
1: it would <laughs> but hey we need to move on because i still got a lot of good stuff here that that uh, i think the folks would like to know okay so let's move on um We've already touched on this a little bit. You know, you recently did an episode on the Bud Zone where you introduced a new podcast, Truth For You, featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of pastor-teacher Dr. Andrew M. Smith at Christ Reformed Community Church in St. Johns County, Florida, who happens to be your pastor and mine. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Now, the introduction for that podcast uh, states truth for you features conversation and preaching from a distinctly reformed theological perspective. Expound on that a little bit for us. Distinctly reformed theological.
0: Distinctly okay, um, yeah. And Andrew, Pastor Andrew, Doctor Smith,
1: Pastor Teacher,
0: Pastor Teacher, Doctor Smith, right? Because he might listen. I don't know if he listens to me or not but um
1: well he he might because you told him that we were doing this and I sent him a message asking him a, you know for some input on a possible question later on uh, that, that we're going to get to that's called stump bud
0: people this has been a setup i can just
1: but i will tell you so, that that i decided not to do that so
0: oh i'm game <laughs>
1: I I mean, I decided not to do it from a theological standpoint. Oh. I'm going to ask something from a different.
0: Well, go ahead. Okay, so the distinctly Reformed, uh, I mean, he really, he liked that. I think he he wanted to make certain that was kind of pointed out for, for his podcast, because there are a lot of people that are, they think that they are Reformed, and to a certain degree they may be, but what most folks, when they say they're Reformed, think that is is like a synonym for Calvinist they, they recognize sovereignty and salvation which is good and right and and but that's really not reformed that's a part of it that's just one small sliver of what it what it really means to be reformed I mean if you go to Ligonier and, and you read some or, or you buy any of his books you know Sproul has got a great book out on what is reformed theology encourage folks to, to read that, Sproul attacks it from a couple of different angles. Truly, it is uh, the issue of the holiness of God and also the sovereignty of God. So, these two sort of paradigms about God's attributes inform every other doctrine that you learn from Scripture. You're always kind of tying it back to sovereignty, you're always tying it back to holiness. And that's what Reformed theology really does it is theology that is born out of the Reformation. Uh, you know, Luther and Calvin and all the other reformers that were recovering not only the gospel justification by faith, but also the authority of Scripture, um, the solas of the Reformation. All of this comes together and, and sort of under the auspices of the sovereignty of God and, and the holiness of God. I, I heard a uh, podcast with Vodi Bacham and Tom Askell, Sword and Trowel, Right, And Vodi just, I mean, he nailed it, and I loved his answer, he, and I don't even remember the question or how it came up, but he said, yeah, yeah, man, I'm i am like the three Cs, and by that he meant Calvinistic, covenantal, and confessional, uh, and I'm like, that's it, that's Reformed theology. Um, now, there's a lot of depth with those three Cs that Vody mentioned, but Calvinism is one of them, confessional is another one, and covenantal, which is you know the the sort of hermeneutical framework that that you handle scripture through so that's really it and that's what that's what our church is about that's that's what's meant by distinctly reformed it's not merely we're all calvinists okay you don't even have to actually be a calvinist to be in our church right but uh, being reformed is more than just being a calvinist
1: and I actually had a question later on that uh, I can just just completely skip now because you answered every bit of that. Uh, oh, uh, check me out. So, uh, <laughs> I I mean, you know, I, I wanted to to point out, you know, you are a Calvinist, and I don't think any, you know, that's going to be a shock to any of your listeners. Uh, you know, you actually introduced me to Calvinism and Reformed theology. Uh, But one thing I want you to do, would you give a brief summary of the origin and an explanation of the five points of Calvinism?
0: So, I mean, the the five points, really, the the summary that everybody kind of has been exposed to is TULIP. Right. um, The acronym, so uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, uh, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Right. That's what kind of constitutes a description of calvinism in the sense of soteriology just when it comes to salvation there's right. more to calvinism like i said exactly than than just that but you know total depravity every every aspect of our being is affected by sin uh the fall affected all of us our our, our mind our will our emotions our affections everything is affected doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could possibly be although i'm number 2 behind paul for chief of sinner kind of thing
1: You're number three. You're behind me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, when we line up, right. I know it doesn't work that way. I'm just kidding. Uh, So total depravity. There's there's no part of us that's not impacted by sin. Unconditional election. Well, who decides that I'm going to be saved? Well, God does that. How does he do it? By grace. Mm -hmm. It's purely by grace. From before the foundation of the world, uh, there's nothing in me. In me that causes him to have shown his grace to me, it's completely grace. So his election is based on his own will and nothing in me, nothing in the creature. So it is unconditional. Limited atonement, that's the one that most people kind of get hung up on because it speaks to what did Christ accomplish on the cross. And it sounds like you're limiting the the effectiveness of Christ's atonement by calling it limited atonement that's not really what it is what you're really doing is describing for whom did Christ make atonement uh, and he made atonement for all those who would believe John 3:16 you know so he bore the sin of the elect and and that is the limitations of the atonement because if you had unlimited atonement then technically you could be a universalist everybody would go to heaven. Well, we know that's not the case. So everybody kind of limits the atonement. A lot of folks just don't think about it, but Mm -hmm. in any case, limited atonement. Um, You know, Christ bore the sin for all those who would believe, who were chosen from before the foundation of the world to believe. Irresistible grace, this is the work of the Holy Spirit who changes your christ says no one comes unto me unless the father draws him well that's the work of the spirit drawing you to christ he's changing your will he's changing your desires he's he's opening your eyes um you're you're moving from darkness to light this is the work of the spirit It, it is that grace and and we can't resist it we're not dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of god once our eyes are opened, we want that. There's nothing else you want other than that. So in that sense, it's irresistible. And then perseverance of the saints really is that, you know, you're secure. You're secure in Christ. You're secure in the Father's hands. So TULIP is the acronym that is applied to that.
1: Okay. Well, thank you for that. And, and, you know, you've already talked a little bit or, or touched on the subject of the sovereignty of God and salvation uh, if you would just uh, briefly touch on the five solas
0: okay so sola scriptura uh, which really is that the Bible is our our final authority our highest authority sola gratia grace alone we're saved by the grace of God alone uh, sola fide faith alone and then solus Christus in Christ alone so it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Right, right. That's the kind of encapsulated Reformed summary of what salvation looks like. Um, and then solely deo gloria, for the glory of God alone.
1: All for the glory of God.
0: Everything, everything. Right. I always summarize and when I talk with people that, you know, there's, there's three big things that are going on in the world. One, everything is happening for the glory of God. The blessings that we see and even the wrath that we see from God, all of this is for his glory. Mm-hmm. that's the first thing. The second thing is the exaltation of his son. Christ is always being exalted. And the third thing is, is for the blessing of his elect. All things work together for good for those that are in Christ. These are fundamental, never going to change realities. Mm-hmm. So, and the soul was, you know, the soul has come out of the Reformation. That's, that's sort of the cold truth that, that we've learned from the work of the Spirit in orchestrating the Reformation.
1: You know, you and I have had uh, some conversations in the past with regard to the opposition to Calvinism in the evangelical church. What are some of the misconceptions or misunderstandings relative to Calvinism and Reformed theology that drive such opposition?
0: I think probably the most common the most common attack uh is going to be that if you're a Calvinist, you're not evangelistic,
1: hmm. and yet the man known as the father of modern missions was a Calvinist,
0: yeah, yeah, look, a lot of people don't even know that 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 John Calvin, who would probably be rolling over in his grave if he knew that his name was attached to a theological system like this. Um, the the Geneva church was sending out missionaries. There was a mission to, I think, Brazil, South America, from Geneva in the 16th century to go to the indigenous tribes there and proclaim the gospel. So, I mean, he his church, they supported missions. So, But there is that kind of uh, assumption that Calvinists, because we believe in sovereignty, so sternly which we do that you don't need to evangelize you don't right. need to share the gospel
1: predestination election you know before the foundation yeah. of the world so why evangelize you know that's a hyper calvinist type
0: well that and that's the thing and there and there are a lot of people who would be in the arminian and even what i consider hyper arminian but who are in an arminian sort of mindset when they hear Calvinism, they immediately leap to a hyper-Calvinism, exactly. which is where you don't do anything. But the the true, genuine Calvinist who understands sovereignty also understands that God does everything he does in this world through means. Mm-hmm. There are always means, and we've been given a command to make disciples. That's right. Um, so are we going to be obedient to that? Yeah, because the pressure is off of me if I share the gospel with somebody across the gas pump at the at the convenience store, I don't have to try and persuade them That's to right. repeat a prayer. I just have to put the truth out there because once I put the gospel out there, the Holy Spirit is responsible.
1: Some plant, some water, yeah. and God gives the increase.
0: Um so the the pressure to evangelize is really taken off of me by being a Calvinist and it frees me to do it more liberally because I'm not the instrument of their salvation. They're not the instrument of their salvation. The Lord is the instrument. Salvation is of the Lord. I, I think that's probably one of the the most common reactions to Calvinism, and 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 honestly, it's a result of ignorance. Um, and and I don't mean that in a in an accusing way, but most of these people that that take that position, they haven't bothered to learn actually what it is. Right. Uh, And the funny thing is that most of the people that you deal with, if you're talking to an Arminian, they're all going to immediately say, of course God's sovereign. Oh, but wait a minute, not with your salvation, right? You got to choose. right? How'd you do that? But then ask the question, oh, wait a minute, is there anybody in your family that's not saved that you're praying for? And all of them will tell you, yes. I mean, we've sat in Sunday school classes that were largely Arminian, Mm -hmm. and we're praying for the salvation of people. Well, why are we doing that? Well, you're doing that because inherently you know that God is sovereign over salvation. And unless he acts, unless he gives grace, unless he opens ears and eyes, they're not going to be saved. God has to act. So anyway.
1: You know, you have you have the those that jump right to hyper-Calvinism, but you also have those that look around today and they see— the new or neo-Calvinism yeah. that, you know, the young, the restless, the reformed. And that's the flip side of that coin. You know, they're even looking, you know, when they, when they think Calvinism, they're thinking hyper-Calvinists or new Calvinists.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: And And I think that's, you know... Both are not good examples. I mean, hyper Calvinism is definitely not a good example, but neither is this newer neo Calvinism.
0: No, and at this point in the in the recent history of the evangelical church, what you've seen with um, this kind of neo Calvinistic view. These are the guys that are largely instrumental in having introduced, in a in a very vigorous way, all the social justice That's right. problems into the church. Yeah,
1: two two of the three so-called pillars of New Calvinism, you know, are are heavily involved in that. I mean, yeah. when you look at those three pillars, which were Mark Driscoll, John Piper, and Timothy Keller. Yeah, Piper and Keller are right in there with the social justice
0: movement. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, you know what? Not my brand of Calvinism.
0: No, it's not mine either. Um, The social justice, if you can't see how that is a direct attack on the gospel, then you need to really back up and, and think through this, and think through it theologically and think through it biblically. You couldn't be further from the gospel with all the nonsense with social justice right now. And to the extent that those kinds of guys are out there promoting that, it should signal to you that there's a problem with those guys. And I'm thinking even closer to home from our standpoint with having been in the SBC before Exactly. you had J.D. Greer. I mean, this J.D. Greer, Al Mola, what a joke. This guy Mark is. Deber, you know, yeah. All of them. Yeah. If there are folks out there in SBC and, and look, a lot of the people that you mentioned earlier that I've talked to are SBC pastors. Mm-hmm. Now they're sound guys and they That's understand right. the threats and they recognize these problems. But if somebody listening is in an SBC church and you've got a pastor that supports the Russell Moores or the J.D. Greers or the, you know, the molars that are, that are pushing the social justice or trying to ride the fence on this, you need to be cautious. Yeah. You, you, you really need to ask some questions. These guys are going in the wrong direction.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Getting towards the end of my uh, questions here, but, uh,
0: everybody this is the thing everybody and you've said it i've said it we've heard all of our whoever your most beloved uh pastor preacher theologian you've heard them say this i've read the end of the book and god wins. wins well you know what you don't actually have to make it all the way to the end of the book to find out god wins you actually can go to the very beginning of the book and find out god wins He's God. Mm-hmm. He's not going to start something that's not going to be finished according to his perfect plan. And then you could actually go to Calvary and say, you know what? God wins because of that. Christ said, it is finished. Well, what is it? Well, there is an infinity and an eternity of theological assuring depth to those three words of Christ they it is finished. It. Mm-hmm. Does he prevail? Absolutely he does. I don't need to get to the end of the book. Now, I'm not dissing the end of the book. Certainly I'm not doing that. But I'm just saying you don't have to go there to find out that God wins. You get that in Genesis 1-1. So what are the implications? And I think you really need to have a full picture of Scripture, which is one of the things that Horner's has helped us do. We're able to look at the big picture of what is God doing in all of scriptural history. What's the narrative? We're not just picking out trees; we're looking at the whole forest. Yeah.
1: And in in the you know in Genesis one one, you only have to go four words into that first verse. Yeah. In the beginning, God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Our problem, regardless of what your eschatological position is, our problem is always that we don't think big enough of God. Mm. Our God is, and this is Luther. This is what Luther was arguing in in the 16th century. Um, You know, your God is too small. That's always what we're guilty of. We're never, and and that's part of our fallen nature. But certainly, it's part of the limitations of our (laughs) our our status as a creature. We can never think big enough of God. Luther
1: thought it. Sproul said it. What's wrong with With you people? people? (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. God's not going to fail. He no. hasn't failed. No. We're not in the midst of plan B. This is plan A, there and it's working was. out perfectly.
1: There never was a plan B. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is a question that I often hear you ask your guests. What encourages you about the church today?
0: Honestly, it kind of goes back to what. I had heard MacArthur say years ago, "I can see the hand of the of the Lord at work." Mm-hmm. Um, right now, even though, and I've I've talked to other pastors. No, I'm not a pastor, but I've talked to pastors who don't seem to make this connection. Um, but the Lord is at work right now in the culture in judgment. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody can really deny that we're we're in the midst of a Romans one kind of. Situation, Yeah. But that's not new. The Lord has been doing this over and over and over again. This is Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. The Lord has always been doing that. Right. But what I think is new for our circumstance is that he's actively judging the church. The reason that we're seeing what's going on in culture is because of what we have not seen going on in the church we haven't seen the church proclaiming the law of God, um, calling men to repent and believe. We're kind of at the, the tail end of a church growth movement that's all been focused on you, self. Um, it's not been focused on Christ. It's, it's compromised the gospel. It's, it's diminished or disregarded doctrine and, and I think the SBC is right now the most vivid example of that. It is clearly under judgment. That's not to say there aren't faithful SBC churches out there. And I've talked to some of the pastors that are faithful and are sound. And as far as the SBC proper, um, it's an example of what apostasy looks like. And if you don't recognize that, then you're not looking through biblical lenses. Mm -hmm. So in a very ironic way, what encourages me is that there are men of Issachar, essentially, that can see the hand of God's judgment and discipline on the church. It's very easy to look at culture and see it's going on. It's going on in society. Why is it going on there? Because it's going on in the church. The ability to see that is very encouraging. Because what does that mean? Well, I mean, Hebrews tells us he disciplines us as sons. Now, what is the Lord doing right now with his church? Well, he is disciplining his church. What that's going to produce is, I don't know, a shaking up. He's going to be kicking out some of the tares, some of the some of the goats. He's going to push them out. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that do for us? Well, what it does for us is it, it promotes holiness. It It distinguishes us not only from the world, and I mean us as the true church. It distinguishes us from the world, but it also distinguishes Christ's bride, the true church, from the superficial church, which if you look at evangelicalism at large, most of it is superficial. They're preaching the gospel that's all about you. Um, It's it's felt needs. It's... um, seeker sensitive it's all this kind of nonsense that we've we've been exposed to for some 20 30 years now the lord's judging his church for that they've been right. unfaithful right it's a wonderful thing to be able to see it it's not a wonderful thing to go through it but it is in the sense that we know if you're truly his you're going to be secure through this i've said this to some people before in the last couple of years the lord's judging his church and i pray that he shuts down you know when a lot of them shut down for COVID and all that stuff, I'm like, I hope most of them don't open back up. They need to be shut down. They're false. They're led by false shepherds. They've got a false gospel, and they're populated largely by false converts. It was funny because I posted something today. I think it was Thomas Manton that, um, to the, and I don't remember the quote exactly. Uh, essentially, is that the uh, the false sheep are never bothered by the false shepherd. He's, he's not a threat to them. That's right. That's kind of where we're at. So it's encouraging me to me to see the judgment of the Lord on the culture, but also the chastisement the Lord is doing on the church. I think that um, it will result in more hostility for the church, mm-hmm. for, for persecution. And certainly we need to pray that the Lord would relent in that. We, we don't have a martyr complex. We, we don't seek persecution we don't want that to come about. But for the glory of God, for the exaltation of Christ, if that's what we're to endure, give us grace to do it faithfully because we want to see Christ exalted. We want to see the gospel go out. I, I just, that encourages me. We have to be able, you know, Paul tells us, you know, to give thanks in all things. Well, if you don't recognize that we're in in a moment of judgment then you don't really understand what the Lord is doing. And we need to be able to thank Him for that. We need to be able to thank Him for the judgment because it is meant to purify us. It is right. meant to draw us closer to Him. It is meant to grow us in faith and to project the gospel in a more profound way. So I'm, I'm thankful for the judgment of the Lord, and that sounds really ironic, and I don't mean it in some kind of perverse kind of way. This is Lord's grace, We should be worried if we weren't being disciplined.
1: That's exactly right. Um,
0: Yeah. And and that we are. We should be thankful. God
1: disciplines those that he loves.
0: Exactly. I I regret that I don't hear that preached enough. And that's one of, because it's not being preached as much. I I think that he's going to emphasize this. I think we're going to see it continue until such point where there is repentance that he grants. Mm Mm-hmm. We recognize our sin before Him in all the nonsense of church growth and compromised gospel and disregarded doctrine. I mean, what did the Lord pray in John seventeen? Sanctify them in truth. Your Word Your is word truth. Is truth. Yeah. That's what we're called back to. We're never going to be able to disciple the nations until we're competent and submissive to the truth. It is my stump bud question. Can we? Pause for a moment of prayer first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, originally, I had called or I had texted Andrew and I said, "Look, I'm you know I'm doing this interview with Bud on the Bud Zone, and and what's a good question I can ask him? You know, stump Bud question.
0: Oh, there's any. You don't have to think real hard to stump me. And, and, and you know what?
1: <laughs> well, see, he never responded to me, and I and I went back and I told him, I said, you know. I changed my mind. I'm not going to ask him a stump bud question, uh, at least not a theological one. But I did come up with a stump bud question. Uh-huh. You said earlier, in the 10 questions, your favorite music genre is classical. Even though you grew up in Macon, Georgia. Yeah. Home of the Allman Brothers.
0: Greg Allman. I'm no angel. <laughs> 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 comes to mind. I don't know why.
1: But, but here's the question. Johannes Brahms. Familiar?
0: Brahms? Brahms. Yeah. Okay. There's like a lullaby or something by that guy. Okay. okay.
1: He started composing his first symphony, Opus 68 in C minor, in 1854. But due to his perfectionism, how many years would it be before the public would actually hear it? <laughs> you got no clue, do you?
0: I, I'm. I have no clue. I. You, I you, don't know.
1: You know, the public did not hear that symphony until 1876. Twenty two years later, he went over and over and over that before.
0: He was satisfied. That's probably what I'm going to do with this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes this episode of The Bud Zone. The Bud Zone podcast is a member of the Christian Podcast Community, where you can find scores of biblically sound podcasts for your edification and encouragement. Go to christianpodcastcommunity.org. To discover more, you are now leaving the bud zone. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And just a reminder, no doctrines have been harmed during the recording of this show.